This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first and second seasons, there's plenty of content worth a listen, with conversations and advice about divorce, injury claims and business partnerships. There are also some excellent episodes where you'll hear from local charities and learn about the amazing work they do. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, Edward Rees and Alex Spanner chat with Sophie Burgoyne about a day in her life as a trainee solicitor, the importance of attendance notes, to-do lists, how to manage the tasks she has to do, and how it's okay to be taken out of your comfort zone. Hello, I'm Edward, and uh, I'm joined today by, uh, well, I'm always joined by my favourite people, but another two of my favourite people, and very quickly I'll explain why they are two of my favourite people. So first of all, uh, I'm joined by Sophie Burgoyne, who's a trainee solicitor with Lanya Bowdler, and uh, I worked with her for six months back in September to March last year. And I would describe Sophie as one of the noisiest people that I've ever worked with, but that's in a good way. Um, And if she was, if we had an award competition, the award that I would present to her would be one of the best people on the phone that I've ever worked with. There we go. Oh, thanks, Edward. And then uh, also Alex Spanner, a solicitor in our personal injury department, who I worked with for six months as a trainee as well in private client. And so Alex... I would, in in the award ceremony, if there was an award for a response, most like a response in Yes Minister, in a good way, uh, Alex would win it for a time when I think we were doing something and we were under a lot of pressure. There was a lot we had to get done. And I asked you to do something. I felt a bit bad about asking you to to do this. And your response was, don't worry. The way I see it, a main part of my role here is to help you keep the plate spinning, which I thought was an excellent, uh, an excellent way to describe uh, the life of a, or the main part of the life of a trainee. I still try and continue to do that now, Edward. And uh, yes, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you. Okay, so we're going to be talking uh, today uh, about a day in the life uh, of a trainee. And because Sophie's still in the thick of that, uh, she's been, yeah, you've been, what, a, a year now? I'll have been here a year trainee a year at the beginning of September. So Sophie is our subject uh, for a, a day in the life of an LB trainee. Um, just before we start talking about all the fun. All My the, exciting all the fun, life. <laughs> fun times as a, as a trainee at Lanyard Bowdler. Uh, I suppose we should just talk about what we mean by by a trainee. Uh, so formally you as, a, you as a trainee, you're a trainee solicitor, which is a two-year contract uh, with the firm and it's the traditional route to be a solicitor in a law firm I mean preceded by used to be called article clerks and you had you, you had your articles but that was replaced by training contracts but there are other routes available and also the traditional route into the training contract which is the legal practice course law degree followed by legal practice course uh, that's all in a process of change at the moment isn't it Alex and you, I know you've done a bit of boning up on this haven't you um, SQE and, and the like yes absolutely sort of what Edward has described as the traditional process of you know going to university doing the LPC and then doing the training contract 
Over the last few years, the SRA have tried to sort of expand that a bit. The idea is it's going to try and make the process a bit more open and make sure that more people have the opportunity to follow a career in law. They've introduced what's called the Solicitor's Qualifying Examination, which is a, an alternative route you can take. There's also other routes such as Silex or the Solicitor's Apprenticeship, options like that. I think the main thing for the purposes of today's podcast is that whilst we're talking to Sophie about her experience as a trainee, it's very much in terms of the, the work experience that she has, what it's like for her working in a law firm day to day, learning on the job, but also, you know, enhancing herself and her skills and what's going to be needed for her to be hopefully one day a very successful solicitor. So if we use the term trainee today, it's a, it's a, it's a catch-all term for the various types of work experience that we're going to be looking at. I see it as a broad church where we're taking people who haven't got much experience in the law yet working with them and bringing them up yeah. there's all kinds of, of routes and there's all all kinds of ways that you can develop your career in Lanyon Bowdler or, or in law generally uh, and if you want to know more about the SQE or if you want to know more about the uh, the route into applying for trainee role at Lanyon Bowdler of course there's another podcast that you, Alex, did with uh, Brian and with Jordan uh, a few months ago. Anybody who's interested in that, that is very much well worth a listen. So, a day in the life of Sophie. Uh, so, so, if we start by talking about, you know, what, what your normal day as a trainee uh, would involve. When I arrive in the morning the first thing that I always do is uh, check my emails because you always have quite a lot of emails um, whatever department you work in Um, so that's the first thing I do get rid of anything that doesn't need my attention and anything that I need to action so obviously I get sent across work from other fee earners I'll have a look at that and see sort of what's most urgent what needs my priority um and then I like to be um super organized because it makes me feel like I know what I'm doing um so I always like to make myself a little to-do list um with sort of the urgent things first and the non-urgent things further down and so yeah then I can kind of start my work for the day another thing that I do quite regularly as a trainee is attend meetings particularly um, in private client you tend to go to meetings on almost a daily basis really because we're always seeing clients so I normally go along with another fee earner like Edward or Alex and I'd be there to take the attendance note and sometimes engage in the meeting as well depending on what the meeting was about. The first thing is there you talked about, because a lot of people would do that, they'd start off their day, wouldn't they, going through their emails and they've got, I don't know, how many emails do you have in your inbox in in the morning? Um, Well, in PI, in PI, not too many, uh, but in private client, you could have one, you could have one day off and have 50 emails, so yeah. And that's always a daunting thing to come back to. Yeah, it it is, yeah. So, so, and then you mentioned a a to-do list. So, so you like to be organised, you like to plan your day. uh, I do. Okay, and and this is good advice in any walk of life, isn't it, really? Because otherwise it's all going to fall apart, isn't it? Yeah. So your list, your your to-do list, is that like a post-its around your screen or do you have, what do you, what, how do you do that? Within our 
internal system. We obviously have a task system where you can have tasks that are assigned to you on individual matters. Um, So I do have that, but I also like to do a traditional, have like a to-do list pad and do a traditional to-do list as well because there's nothing more satisfying than getting to put a tick next to something when you've done it. Yeah, so the traditional hit list on paper. Yeah. All right, now here, you've got to be honest about this, Sophie. Do you ever do your little list uh, with with the with the boxes for ticking off when you've done the task. Do you ever just tick one or two off at the start, you know, just to make you feel better? What if I've not done them? Yeah, well, you you did them the day before, but oh, you, yeah, you put definitely. them on the top of the list and tick them off to make you feel better about the list that you've yeah, still got. Yeah, or put something on that's like I really easy so that okay. I can tick it off straight away. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about nothing if not positive mental attitude here. So getting a couple of ticks off the list at the start of the day is is not a bad idea. Sophie, I know that it works slightly different in private client, but especially in PI, which is where you obviously are now, you are the trainee for the department. You'll have a number of fee earners who will send you work or you have to report Mm. to or will check in on you. How do you sort of balance that? How do you find it is when you have to, you know, as I said, report to several different people all with their own sort of own deadlines that was a quite a big challenge I found moving from private client to personal injury because in private client I was Edward's trainee and pretty much worked solely for Edward whereas as um, Alex said in PI I work for the majority of the solicitors in the department some more than others but it's really important when you're doing that, I found to really make sure that you ask people for deadlines for the work that they want you to do. So if someone hasn't told me when a task needs doing by, I always just try and drop them an email and say, you know, when do you need this? Because otherwise it's really easy to overlook something that's urgent or, you know, cause problems for other fee earners because they are not necessarily aware of the work that you've been set by other people within the department so you have to be not afraid to be vocal about the work you've got on and if someone asks me to do something and I haven't got time to do it in that time frame then I always say straight away that I haven't got time to do it so that you're not putting that fee earner on the back foot by leaving an urgent task to the last minute. I, I'm just going to jump in here and because <laughs> it makes me, makes it, that made what you said, made it sound like you were my slave or something. <laughs> and I'd just like to say, for the purposes of the audience and, and the managing partner, that Sophie was not my slave. <laughs> I never treated her as such. But no, more seriously, you were working with other people, weren't you, in the, in the, in the private client department. But I think it is fair to say that, yeah, we, we worked one-to-one really didn't we for most of the time yeah exactly I'm not asking you how it was well you can say if you like how it was working for me uh, compared with anybody (laughs) else that you work with but where you're working as a trainee predominantly with one person and shadowing them uh, if you say and contrasting that where you're having to deal with a team of people each of whom would have their own demands or time frames like you described you know how how was that and and what would you prefer for the benefit of just mainly working for one fee earner like when I was working for you is that um, you quickly get used to how you work, how you like things done. So I knew what style you like documents drafted in or how what the kinds of emails that you generally send. I'd listen to you on the phone and know the kind of things you would say to clients when dealing with queries and things like that. Whereas in 
PI. Um, all the fee earners have their own kind of ways of working, their own styles. So if I was doing research, for example, all the fee earners like it presented in a slightly different way. If I'm drafting like a witness statement, everyone has their own kind of stylistic points um, that, you know, that's how they do it. So it's more challenging because you have to think, you know, how does this Fiona like it so I can make sure that I'm doing it in that way. But it's also good because I think it's important as a trainee to know that there's not just one way of doing things. Um, there is a variety and often there's no right or wrong. It's just a kind of stylistic point. I think you've touched on something quite interesting there, Sophie, is when you said um, when you're sat next to Edward and you, you overheard him on the phone and how he'd speak to clients, which, again, I can stress from my own experience, you know, very professional and very well done. But uh, it's that level of training in the office and sort of, you know, just being sat with somebody, listening to how they interact with clients, seeing how they prepare documents, seeing how they just how they act professionally. I, I always found when I was a trainee, I thought that was such a useful skill to have. The firm are very keen on pushing this. Uh, learning via osmosis so you you don't realize how much you pick up just by being in the environment and just by watching you know very successful professionals doing this on a day-to-day basis is that something that you found as well when you were training yeah definitely I think when you're a trainee you essentially have to be a big sponge and you just have to (laughs) you just have to listen and observe as much as you possibly can and then it would surprise me that then when I'd speak to people on the phone that I'd say things and think wow where did that come from and it's because I've heard somebody else say it so even things like if you're dealing with a new inquiry I'd listened to how other people dealt with them and then when I got one I kind of knew the not the script but you know the kind of things that you need the kind of questions you needed to ask and things like that and then you I'd kind of arrive at the end point and think oh I actually know what I'm doing and no one's told me what to say but I've just been listening to what everyone else is doing and saying and kind of picked it up like that and I do think that I was quite lucky because I started my training contract post-Covid but I do think that that's one of the things that a lot of trainee solicitors across the country have missed out on from having to work from home for a lot of the time during their training contract because it is really hard to kind of pick up those skills when you haven't got anyone around you to learn from. That's something I can actually touch on. Um, as So I, I qualified in uh, September 2021. Uh, I started my training contract in September 2019. So obviously a good you know, over half of my training contract was spent during the the COVID lockdown. And during that period, I had Edward as a supervisor when I was in private clients, and I had Philip Roberts down when I was in personal injury, who's in our Hereford office. You do lose out on the the office environment. Obviously, we all know the reasons why people were working from home support that. But I think what's really important is that you have the the confidence to you know, when you are working from home to, to pick up the phone or to correspond with whoever is supervising you, you know, it's a really good opportunity to make sure you ask questions, um, to get feedback. You know, we we're doing a lot of remote meetings, especially with, you know, when I was with you, Edward. And I feel that, you know, you just have to be able to, you know, make the most of the learning experience that you have. And I think it helps build quite a, a good bond with the person that you're supervising with as well. We, you know, between the, the Shackleton expedition and various other historical events, we had a lot of 
good conversations during the trainee contract, which uh, I still remember now. Well, that is a vital part of uh, any uh, LB uh, trainee's uh, uh, learning experience is the the various non-legal foibles and uh, likes and dislikes that uh, the people that they're working with uh, have. Uh, (laughs) I swear the Shackleton thing comes in. I've got a list that I'm sure Sophie will find familiar of the things that the trainees have to put up with on a daily basis uh, from me. Uh, So that would be uh, jazz talk. Uh, I I think a bugbear of yours was when people came in who I knew your jazz friends <laughs> jazz friends turned clients and then Sophie would have to endure quarter of an hour maybe more of how would you describe it jazz talk well boring jazz talk but I probably know a lot about jazz actually if you grill, if you grilled me so you, you get you get a working knowledge of jazz this is what you're signing up for if you're applying Sir Ernest Shackleton and the people who voyaged with him uh, uh, Radio 4 generally Yes, Although yeah, that's kind I'd of agree. gone down lower on my list of uh, priorities, really. But specifically Melvin Bragg and uh, the novels. Have we did, did we do the novels of John le Carre? Oh, no, I don't think so. All oh, right, well, uh, you've missed I'll that. Look for, I'll look forward to that at some point in the future. Okay. I think we did John le Carre novels. So <laughs> okay, I, I did remember that one. Okay. And we had a work experience chat the other day. And he was asking if there was anything he should be doing. He was working with David, but I had him for five minutes. So I said that he should read The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. And that would tell him a lot about human nature or give him some greater insight into into those kind of things, which are key skills. I will just say that I haven't read that. So it doesn't stop you from getting a training contract. (laughs) No, it doesn't. That point you made, Alex, about the meetings. It isn't so easy when you're out of the office and you're doing it remotely. And the first six months of uh, of the lockdown, which was before you came in for your six months, uh, I, f- I felt I wasn't really doing very well with the, with the training I had at that time. Probably I was beating myself up a bit about it. By the time you came in, I think it was partly that I kind of worked out how to do it, you know, the remote meetings, and that, that you make sure that you make time to have the follow-up and you do it you do it over the phone you do it you do it on the zoom at the end of the meeting but also I became less critical of myself because I think this idea of both you and the trainee want to be proactive so you know you pick up the phone both of you it's it's incumbent on both of you if you're not there in the office but if you're there in the office it is easier um, but uh, and that osmosis thing, uh, you know, as you describe, you pick so much up, don't you? I remember I I picked up loads of stuff when I did my training contract. It wasn't with Lanyon Bowdler, but I was sat next to the criminal team. We sat in the attic part of the part of the office, and even though I was a, we were away from the main hubbub of what was going on, because it was a criminal team, a lot of clients coming in, you know, experienced. Uh, professionals, you can imagine you know, that the, the criminal team are always—they're uh, always a bit different, aren't they? Uh, in a good way. So you got the low down on everything, and and you just pick up a lot up uh, from from that. So the the sponge analogy, a very good one. But of course, what you don't want to be with a sponge is just sucking everything up. You want to having be wringing it all out, and and that's what you were exactly. Describing. Yeah. yeah. Meetings and everything. How much of your day is taken up with? meetings we've talked about the start of the day off but you know you're not doing emails all day how much of your time would be spent on meetings say in the pi department and how much how does that contrast 
number of meetings or the time that you spend on them, say, with the private client? I would say in PI, it's not a great deal of time taken up with meetings because the PI cases tend to go on longer than the matters do in private client. We see less new clients than we did in private client. So in PI, I'd say on average... I might attend a meeting maybe once every two or three weeks. Not necessarily a new client, but we tend to do a lot more kind of over email or over the phone. Whereas in private client, you could easily attend a meeting once or twice a day, every day, particularly at sort of peak times like after Christmas and things like that. So they take up quite a large part of the day then, which I think is because uh, a lot of the matters in private client turn around um, relatively quickly sort of within a few weeks in some cases so you see a lot more new clients than you I imagine you do in most other departments. One of the things that you touched on earlier was that you know part of your day would be taken up with research uh, which of course would be a surprise to lots of people because they'd, they'd assume why do you need to do any research? Because all solicitors know everything. We, you you and we, we know absolutely everything, don't, don't we? But I, I think really everybody knows that we don't know uh, everything, that there are great limits to our knowledge. You know, how much of your time does that take up? Again, are there any contrasts between uh, private client and uh, and PI? Um, and just broadly, what, what how do you do that? Um, so... I would say that I do a lot more research in PI than I did in private client. But I think most people would assume that all the research is legal. So I'd be looking at cases and statute and things like that. But to be honest, most of the research is not legal and it's more practical. So a lot of the time I'd be researching um, to look for sort of treating therapists for clients. And I might be doing research to find out how much things cost so for example Alex gave me a research task to look at the cost of renting a flat in Birmingham so that we could include it in a schedule of loss for one of our clients so actually a lot of the research is non-legal where it's legal I'd use all the kind of classic legal sources that we have access to like LexisNexis or practical law and things like that which are all the kind of things they teach you at uni um, but to be honest a lot of the research we do we'll start off with a google and see how we get on from there you know I could be on right move I could be looking at blog posts and things like that so and actually sometimes it, you get really interesting results that you're not expecting. This is quite good actually because you know imposter syndrome I, I'm all- <laughs> I'm often thinking, because I feel in private client, there isn't much law that we do, that it's mostly practical stuff yeah. and, and process driven. Uh, um, and then I think that all the laws going on with all the other departments and that maybe one day they'll find they'll find me out, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but clearly the kind of things that we do or the perception we have of what we do, it runs across other departments as well. You're not just you're not just looking up cases all day long. No, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that is different to what I expected is that I thought it would be a lot more law heavy, if that makes sense. A lot of the stuff we do is actually really practical. And a lot of the tasks that I get given involve a big element of common sense as well as actual legal knowledge. Did you find that as well, Alex? And, and and what your perception of how life would be 
as a lawyer whilst you were at university or whilst you were doing your your LPC when you know what you thought it might be like when you actually got into the thick of it was it radically different or were there just a few contrasts I agree with Sophie on that point. I think that, you know, you sort of go through the, the sort of academic procedures. You, you're not quoting statute every day. You're not, you know, referring to case law after case law. That, that comes up every so often. But as Sophie said, a lot of it is very practical. It's common sense. But the important thing is that you know the procedure and you know what needs to be followed. The legal theorem does come in. You, you will need it. You will need to know where you are going with it. But it's not an, an essay answer in every question. It's getting to the most practical conclusion with the best result for the client that you can and knowing what steps to follow in order to get there. Is there anything else then about how it actually is working as a lawyer that that surprises you? So I'd say the thing that surprised me the most was that I actually get to do loads of stuff myself. People actually put the trust in you to give you responsibility for tasks and for example, I never thought as a trainee that I'd ever be allowed to meet a client on my own. But I've actually done that quite a few times. Did, I let, you, did I let you do that? Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. I, can't, I can't remember that. Yeah, you let must me. Must have been mad. You let me do. You did have COVID. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I've met clients um, in private client and in personal injury on my own. And it was quite nerve wracking, but it was fine. But... I never would have thought that I'd be given that much responsibility, that people would have that much trust. I kind of thought that I'd have my hand held a lot more. And don't get me wrong, people give you lots and lots of advice. And I wasn't just sent into that meeting blind. I was given lots of guidance about what the purpose of the meeting was and what I needed to get out of it. But I was allowed to have some degree of free reign by doing the meeting myself, which I think is the best way of learning um and so yeah that was that was really good yes yeah, so you weren't just sent in on day one um uh, no I, I, thinking about that particular i do remember that particular day i think that was, was a, actually the final day of my seat <laughs> in private client was, yeah but. yeah but you'd worked on on that case all the way through hadn't you yeah uh, and so and so and you'd prepared all the papers for that particular meeting so it was it was a key point wasn't it in yeah. the process so yeah uh, so it, it makes sense. So so it's and that, that's I think that's right. That's the right way to look at it. You know, you 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 want to develop people, and you you've got to trust them. Yeah. Uh, and you you know you take it as far as as far as you can. You don't throw them in the deep end. Yeah. yeah I've never been forced to do a meeting on my own. It's mm. always been only if I wanted to. But obviously I did because you know you don't get that opportunity every day. Brilliant. Did you get thrown in at the deep end at all, uh, Alex? Well, it's not that wasn't being thrown at the deep end. I've got to make that quite clear. I can swim. <laughs> okay. So, did you have stuff like that, Alex? Or yeah, I think that um, the reason why you, you sort of do this sort of period of training inside the law firm is that you you are developing the skills that you are required to be a good or hopefully great solicitor. A level of knowledge in terms of the law is is a sort of given requirement, but there are so many other factors that you need to have and skills you need to have in terms of to make yourself a really great solicitor. You know, you're looking at interpersonal skills, being able to speak to the clients in order to give advice, um, having the confidence to talk to them, um, managing client expectations. You know, it. there are so many skills that you, you have to develop. And, you know, some people have different levels of confidence going in than others. It's one of those things where every meeting you take, I think you take something away from it. And, you know, as you qualify, you know, the... Not that, not that you ever are truly handheld as a trainee, but 
you know, you're a lot more on your own. You have to, you know, the two years that you have doing the training contract, it gives you the confidence to know, yes, I can do this. I can go on. And, you know, now that I've qualified, it's on me and I've got the skills to do what I need to do. Yeah, I think that brings us quite neatly on to this whole thing about the things that you're learning, the skills that you're learning as a trainee, and particularly now, uh, what we're, I think what we'd like to talk about is those skills. They're not specifically legal skills, but they're kind of business stuff, personal skills, managing client expectations, all of which is absolutely key. So you could be the most brilliant academic legal student in the world, but unless you're able to develop and hone these other skills that we talked about it's you're going to have a difficult time I think being a lawyer uh, in practice aren't you so how have you found that developing those skills I think one of the things you talked about earlier um, ties in with this which is dealing with a number of different people in a team and dealing with delegated tasks from them and I guess one of the things you've got to learn there quite quickly is you you were saying all the different styles they have so you've got to develop I I describe this as your antennae then are they soft skills these are kind of soft skills or but they're they're key you know it's with your colleagues and with the clients I know Alex mentioned um, interpersonal skills which are really important so obviously there's a huge element of customer service um, within being a a solicitor or working in a law firm so a big part of that is just being able to talk to people you've got to be able to kind of tailor how you speak and how what kind of things you're saying to that particular client so obviously um, in some departments like private client you might be dealing with people that are going through quite difficult times and you've kind of got to be able to tailor the way you speak Um, to accommodate that but also a big part of customer service is managing expectations as I said before when I get given work by people um, I like to get time scales to see when they want the work done by and it's important that you give time scales to clients as well so they know when they can expect things and making sure those are actually realistic looking at the volume of work you've got to do for all the clients that you're doing work for and making sure the the timescales you're giving are achievable is really important because that's how you avoid having unhappy clients. And even if the timescales are generous, if you get the work done early, then that's only going to be a positive outcome for both you and the client. And I think that's really important. And another thing that ties into that is just general admin, really, just being able to keep on top of everything. So taking accurate notes of attending meetings, keeping on top of all your posts and your emails and your filing, because then you always know exactly what's going on on any given matter at any given time. Hopefully then you can work as efficiently as possible. A lot of time of trainees is taken up with doing attendance notes, isn't it? Every meeting, every telephone call, there's an attendance note done, isn't there? Yeah. And, and if the trainee's involved in that, they're the one who generally gets the job. I, I can't remember how I found that, but do trainees find that that's actually quite useful because it helps to distill everything. It helps to reinforce things. They're actually learning through that or do they just find it, oh, I, not another attendance note. <laughs> I think at busy times, there were times when I thought, oh, not another attendance note. However, if I'd done the attendance note, I generally found that when I came to do the work, draft the will or whatever it was, that I'd think, well, 
the attendance note has cemented what was discussed at the meeting in my mind so then it made actually completing the task so much more straightforward and it's a great point of reference if you've got a good attendance note and I think from early on I realised the importance of of an attendance note because if you've not got a note of that meeting or that telephone call and then you think oh no I can't remember what I said or what they said and then it might involve going back to the client another phone call or whatever um normally the client doesn't mind but you know it's not it's not great on you it's not an efficient use of your time so the attendance note is actually key I think Edward will probably agree with me here but in terms of skills that trainees have there is nothing more valuable than a trainee that does a good attendance <laughs> note it is it's such a helpful part of the job when you've got one that can do it and um it's one of those things as you said you, you pick up and, and develop it as you go along but um yeah, I, I do sometimes look at the attendance notes that I've had and I'm like, God, this is such a life centre. <laughs> I'm looking back at this. Also, I would say is that Edward's not renowned for his amazing handwriting. So if I let <laughs> if I let Edward do the attendance note, then I might not know what they said. <laughs> that's really unfair, actually. And and I, I, I'll tell you why I think that's unfair, because I, I do my attendance notes on my iPad. So I, I email them in. Uh, as a PDF, because I'm paper, as you know, I, I got my paper, and they're there, preserved in perpetuity in the electronic document management system, and I think they're okay. So getting back on this skills and dealing with people, that that's really key, really, really, really. I mean, as well as attendance notes, uh, which might just save your life. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the the dealing with people is really key, and and in, in private client again, I don't know how this sits in. PI, although the point you made about in private clients, they might be bereaved. Yeah. They're very likely to be bereaved people. So, of course, you've got to understand that and you've got yeah. to be able to empathize. But, of course, in PI, you're dealing with, they might not, they might be bereaved actually, or they might not be bereaved, but they've gone through a catastrophic yeah, potentially exactly. or, you know, a very traumatic uh, time. So, you've got that to deal with. But also, it's uh, in private client, it may be different in PI you're not necessarily just dealing with clients. If it's an estate that you're managing, yeah. um, you're dealing with beneficiaries, aren't yeah. you, if, you, if you're administering an estate? And then you can kind of multiply, let's say you've got two executors, so you've got two clients, but the people whose expectations you're also responsible for managing and, and dealing with actually expands, doesn't it? Because yeah. you've got the, you've got, you can probably multiply that by another two on average. Yeah. Uh, and, and that then becomes... You know, a bigger concept to grapple with and, and I think is key in terms of you know developing and learning as a, as a trainee that dealing with people dealing with people in that context you're multiplying the number of people that you're dealing with and actually everybody is different everybody has different brains they all work in different ways and you can't just assume even if you're the best lawyer in the world and even if you've got all of those skills all those things that we talked about off pat, you know, your, your file management, your management, you know, these timeframes are going to be this, we've told you the fees are going to be this. Within the year, your working year, you're going to be dealing with a large number of people. Uh, it's not just clients, you can multiply that. Everybody's different. It's almost inevitable that you're going to be dealing within that range of people with some people who are they're going to be disappointed. They're just going to think differently. Tricky. But it's kind of no use railing against that or kind no. of complaining about that. It's no. just something you kind of have to learn how to deal with, whether that might be, again, I've got to, that this just reinforces the point I have to manage people's expectations, but also I have to develop a bit of a hide. 
as well uh, you know if you found that how, yeah definitely and you have to realize that it's not personal mm-hmm. and generally people are just at times a bit frustrated and it's not it isn't generally a personal thing so we had an estate that I worked on where there were 22 beneficiaries and a lot of them didn't even know the person that had died. And then that was an interesting situation to manage because my phone was just ringing off the hook for a week with all these people ringing, asking questions that I didn't know the answer to because I don't know who the person, I don't know anything about the person was who died. But then I've had other situations, you know, where, for example, we had an estate where we had a nursing home that owed one of our estates quite a substantial amount of money. And despite months and months of following up on it, we weren't we weren't being sent the money that we were owed. Um, And so I took it upon myself to uh, regularly phone the accounts department of the nursing home um, where I kept getting told, you'll have it by the end of the week. And we never did to the point where I actually ended up phoning every single day until they transferred the money. Um, And he didn't even used to say hello when he answered the phone to me, but it worked because they paid the money. But that was the appropriate course of action in that situation but normally that wouldn't be an appropriate course of action and yeah I've had people ring up where they're not particularly happy but I generally find that you just have to let them tell you the reason that they're unhappy keep a note of it for future reference and you know if there's something that you can do to kind of mitigate their unhappiness then that's fine but often as a trainee it needs to go to the person that you're working for um so I always just say you know I I appreciate everything that you're saying and I've I've got a note of all of that so that I can feed that back to my supervisor and you know if you leave it with me I'll come back to you by the end of the week or whatever it is um but you know it's it's not a personal attack it could have been anybody that sent that email and it could just be that they've had something else go wrong in their day that was completely unrelated to you and you've just borne the brunt of it. But you do have to grow a little bit of a thick skin and I've learned that quite quickly. But also it's fine some days if actually you do take it a bit personally because we all have days like that. That's just part of being human. That's a good roundup, I think, of of, of situ- you are going to face that. You are You are going to face those kind of situations. Um, and what you don't want it to be is something that's as a result of something that you or, or we, the firm, have done. Yeah. They, 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 you know, these things, they're generally going to be things that are outside of our control. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's taking longer for the bank to do this. It's taking longer for somebody to provide some crucial piece of evidence or something in the context of PI. Um, but but you've got to try and, try and manage it. And again, you don't want to be thrown in the deep end. But I, again, Alex, you might have some thoughts on this. I, I feel um, that part of developing your skill set, developing as a, as, a, as a lawyer, part of that is being taken out of your comfort zone, not just in terms of new 
legal stuff that I'm learning, new, I'm learning about these new laws or these procedures, but also pushing myself out of my comfort zone in, in dealing with these clients or dealing with these third parties and managing their expectations. And if I allow myself to be not thrown in at the deep end, but, but edged out of my comfort zone into these more difficult situations, that is how I will develop and how I will grow as a character. I think you just have to expect the unexpected, really, because unfortunately you can't really avoid being pushed out of your comfort zone because if your phone rings or you get an email, you can't control what's going to, who's going to be on the other end of that phone or Mm. what's going to be on that email. Mm. Like yesterday I was sat at my desk and got a phone call and it was from, it was a private client inquiry because someone had read my blog on our website (laughs) And I haven't worked in private client for nearly six months. So to say it caught me off guard was a bit of an understatement, but you sort of have to be prepared to deal with with those kind of situations yeah. um, at any given time, really. And you'll surprise yourself at yeah. the fact that you can actually deal with them and yeah. it's normally completely fine. So Sir Ernest Shackleton again, isn't it? You know, he wasn't <laughs> expecting that he was going to get trapped in the ice. Uh, but, you know, uh, you, you want to be that person who he'd take in the boat to Elephant Island. Exactly. Yeah. So is it like that for you, Alex? No, Edward, I, d- I don't really have anything to, to add on the back of that, uh, that fantastic metaphor. But um, I think what, what is worth sort of covering, I think, um, is that uh, the sort of skills that, that make a good training. And I think these are, again, these are sort of very general skills, but I think they're things that are very important. And I think going into every day with a with a positive mindset, a, a willingness to learn, uh, the the confidence to to back yourself. You know, if if you've got to the stage where you are working for a law firm, you you know you've done a law degree. You know, you are clearly highly skilled, and part of the training contract is giving you the opportunity to show that off to the persons who may well be your future employers going forward. And I always sort of took the the training contract experiences as uh, sort of, you know, a, a two-year job interview, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I was very grateful the firm retained me after I finished. And that was because I had the opportunity to, to showcase the skills that I'd sort of was learning. And as I think the your point about, you know, being pulled out of your comfort zone, I think is, you know, again, no, nobody throws you off the in the deep end straight away. It's just about, you know, every day, take yourself one step further and progress on as a uh, as a professional so much of it is just about enthusiasm and willingness to learn and you know not being afraid to ask questions put your ideas forward show your capabilities because even though you are a junior in the firm people always want fresh ideas fresh perspectives you know new suggestions of ways of doing things and uh, you know I feel that I'm really valued and listened to here um and so yeah i think i think i completely agree with what alex said that's lovely we didn't make you uh, say that either it wasn't you can pay me later <laughs> oh, thank you. okay so here's the thing um just as we wrap things up uh just thinking in terms of the future the future of training or the future of being a lawyer uh, and how it will look going forward i of course there's all the stuff about SQE, which we touched on and which Brian and and you guys talked about in that earlier podcast. Um, But the thing that's caught my eye over the last few days has been uh, an an article that we've seen about units of attention. So a leading academic uh, suggesting that lawyers could one day use neurotechnology 
to charge clients via, I'm quoting here, billable units of attention. So the way lawyers, we work out our charging structures is really thinking in terms of an hourly rate and how long it's going to take to do any task or any job. Um, so um, what this is, is saying that you could better get to that or do that by neurotechnology, a computer brain interface that allows you to record that time but make it more efficient because you, you know, I suppose the fear is that you've got these lawyers putting the units down or recording their time but of the hour that they're spending on a job of that how much of that are they really productive is their brain straying off into diverse areas within the hour and this technology that they're talking about would would help either monitor that or I think they're perhaps suggesting that you could do it the other way that you'd fine-tune your brain to be much more attentive and concentrate and focus so that you can really be super productive so here's some questions for you Sophie and Alex one how do you feel about that um, so if we said to you here here's a chip <laughs> would you mind having it implanted in your brain to uh, monitor your your time recording would you feel better about that if instead of monitoring your time recording it was going to make you I don't know 50% or 100% more efficient so you'd be like Hermione in the Harry Potter film where she's able to do two things you know, twice the amount of tasks in the day uh, that everybody else can um, would you think that was a good trade-off or do you just think this sounds like a horrible dystopian <laughs> aberration <laughs> Yeah, I think the latter. I think it sounds horrible and I would be slightly concerned about what what is going to time record. Oh, can, I just, can I just say you don't have to have a chip. You could have a, a headpiece. So you don't have to be surgically enhanced. You can have a headpiece right, okay. that's monitoring it without the surgical enhancement. Does that make it any better? Surgically enhanced lawyers sound like the most terrifying thing to any member of the public. Never Robo lawyer. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it sounds horrible. And also, what? how's it going to time record all the time where my brain's singing random songs and thinking about what I'm having for tea and things like that? I'm not that, saying that, that I'm distracted. That, that's, that's, I am still doing my work. It's the singing the songs. Your brain singing yeah. the songs while you're doing the, doing the tasks. That's making you more productive, yeah. you're saying. I mean, you are aware that I am quite a lively trainee. but yeah, noisy, I, yes. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it stops me. It stops me from being productive. I sort of agree with Sophie. I think, I think we're, we're, a, we're quite a regulated profession as it is. Um, and uh, whilst, you know, technology is always changing and you're always open to, you know, making yourself the most effective and efficient lawyer you can be. Um, I think neurochip interfaces is, is possibly one step further than I'm willing to go. But Ask me again in 20 years yeah. and we'll see We'll see where we are. I'd be uncomfortable with the big brother aspect of, of somebody peering into my soul and of the hour that I'm working, how much of it is actually the uber efficient part of the hour. Um, obviously, the whole hour is. Where would all your jazz facts go, Edward? Well, exactly. There'd be no time for jazz, would there? No time for jazz. No time, no. For, no time for jazz. That would be a tragedy. Um, but but uh, I'm more attracted by the idea of something that makes me more efficient, that I can do twice as much. The reality of it is it's probably too much to expect. And it is, it is dystopian, isn't it, really? But uh, there we go. They are researching this. 
So watch this space and yeah, let's come back in 10 years and, and talk about that with our chips uh, in. In fact, we won't need to come back. We can just brain interface uh, and then just we can just beam that into everybody's podcast chip, can't we, uh, in 10 years time. So before we get to that point, I'd just like to wrap things up. I'd like to thank you, Alex, very much indeed for your words of, of wisdom and your experience from the time that you were a trainee and Sophie, who's still in the thick of it. Thank you very much indeed for giving us an overview into a day in your life as an LB trainee. No, thank you for having me. Thanks to Edward, Alex and Sophie. Get more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from any of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialist for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons. Speak to you soon. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.